Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast, and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode 41, and we have Richard Irvine joining the show. Richard is an advocate for fair wagering and a voice for punters in Australia. In this episode, we discuss the point of consumption tax, the presence of a national regulator, in-play wagering and minimum bet laws. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with Richard Irvine. Today, I'm joined by Richard Irvine from Fair Wagering Australia, among other things. Richard, thank you very much for your time today. Jake, how are you, mate? So, I've been following on with some of the stuff you've been up to um, over the last year or so, even longer, actually, about fair wagering and uh, looking out for a certain portion of the industry, which we're going to get to, and, and maybe an undercovered portion of the industry. So, before we get there, do you want us to take us through... A little bit about you and I guess where it started, a bit of background before we get to that stuff. Sure, mate. Um, yeah, I've been punning, I think I just celebrated 21 years and I, um, well, I guess I should say I've been in the punning industry about 21 years. I left high school, started working in a cafe and then one of the regulars at that cafe was a bookie called Warren Woodcock and um, he offered me a job and I went to the races on a Saturday. I'd never been to the races before in my life. And um, started working for him and instantly was sort of transfixed with how exciting and, and um, fun it was. And, yeah, so I started working for him. And then, funnily enough, at the time, there was his, he had about three other staff. But two of those staff was Sean Bartholomew and Kingsley Bartholomew, who people would know well have um, been, uh, you know, at the, at the forefront of Australian punting for, well, probably 15 years now. Anyway, they were working with Warren Woodcock at that time. So, for me, it was a great apprenticeship because I was sort of thrust into um, an environment where there was some pretty um, contrarian thinkers like Sean and Kingsley. And, um, you know, I sort of did a long apprenticeship out of the track working with Warren and, and learning off those boys and learning off everybody else. And then just sort of more from there. And probably about 15 years ago, I actually started putting money on for Sean and Kingsley. Um, and then about probably 10 years ago, I just started punting in my own right. And I've just been chipping away at that ever since. So that sounds like an episode in itself, um, and I know we're going <laughs> to cover other topics today. But so you spent it seems like around six years on the bookmaking side. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was great. And I, you know, um, that's when the races were still pretty vibrant. And um, yeah, I was just out there and <clears throat> um, doing all kinds of jobs and and, and learnt the craft and um, was always trying to talk to as many people as I could because I just wanted to learn more and immerse myself more in the industry, um, yeah, I, I sort of instantly fell in love with it and, um, and never looked back. So no one can then argue that you haven't been on the other side of the counter and taking on punters and taking bets and you've got a good grasp of that part of the industry. I was actually a bookie. I got my license um, for about six months and I, I worked at eight meetings and lost at seven of them. 
Um, so I wasn't a real good bookie, and I just gave it away. <laughs> Fair enough. And then on the punting side, it's been another 15 years or so? Yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that's that's the side that I prefer. And, um, you know, everyone finds their place. And <clears throat> that's what I've always found, I guess, the um, well, the most enjoyable and, 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 and at times the most profitable. So... So I want to get to now sort of the work you're doing on the fair wagering side and and I think everyone probably knows who's listening to this now or if they don't, they soon will find out that you've been sort of taking a position in the discussion or in the dialogue and discourse in the industry about the punting side. What prompted you or what was the impetus to get started on being a voice for all those people who are often relatively silent? Yeah, well, it it was, um, you know, I... I've known many people in races for a long time, and so there was a huge sort of vocal discourse against what the corporates were doing, and no one really put their hand up and do anything about it, mostly because punters are sort of a clandestine bunch and like to keep to themselves. And, um, you know, no one really wanted the exposure that would bring by, you know, making a bit of a fuss about it all. And then finally, and I was the same, and then finally got the stage where around the time when Lad Brokes and 365 and all those joints start up in Australia and they had a really sort of arrogant, contemptuous attitude at, um I just thought enough's enough. If we don't do something, there's not going to be any industry left. Um, and I just sort of, it just sort of happened, and then it kind of snowballed a little bit, I guess. And you know, as as a group, we've had a lot of success because we have got the the minimum bet limit through. When I say group, as a group, I mean all the punters, because um, sure, I was probably at at the front of the at the front of the protest, but there was I had so much support behind me, backing me up. I mean, it was you know, I basically in all my advocacy, I literally got no sort of negativity against what I've been advocating for. So that helped a lot. And even at tough times when it looked like the administrators in different racing jurisdictions weren't going to do anything, I always just kept thinking to myself, how can they possibly knock it back? The ethical argument is just too strong. Um, and ultimately, that was right. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how, how it all happened. For the group of punters, is there anyone that's not on board for any reason? I just want to touch on this a little bit. Is there a, a section or a segment of punters that, aren't solely aligned with what you're doing or is it fair to say that as a collective everyone's clearly on the same page when it comes to having a voice for the punters yeah i mean i think i think absolutely like you know there was when there was pushback from the bookies they tried to use the line that you know winning gamblers take away the value um for recreational gamblers which is you know just such a stupid concept but they tried it on and i didn't really hear any I mean, maybe I heard a couple of murmurs from a few people on Twitter saying that they kind of agreed with that, but they'd be such a tiny minority. Um, so yeah, so look, it was it was virtually sort of universal um, support for it, and just universal thought that the right thing was that you know you sh- you should be allowed to win if you're betting. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to try and play devil's advocate if I can at all throughout this show, and it might be difficult, but I'm going to try. So. <laughs> Let's yeah. get stuck into point of, point of consumption tax. And I guess as a base and foundation for those who aren't aware, what do online wagering companies in Australia pay in terms of taxes and products, product fees uh, as of now? So now at the moment, they've all they have to pay in terms of sort of taxes on their wagering turnover is um, they pay GST, which I think actually ends up being 9.1% of their gross profit because I know it's GST is 10%, but I guess when you reverse it, it becomes 9.1% or something like that. So they've got to pay that. And then obviously they have they have to pay product fees to regulatory 
bodies, and that can vary. Um, I know that uh, the sporting bodies don't reveal what their arrangements are with the particular bookmakers, you know, like, for example, Cricket Australia or the NRL. Um, the racing bodies are more transparent. So let's take New South Wales, for example. They have a rate of between 1.5% and 3% on turnover, and 1.5% is just on your standard meetings, which is the vast majority of meetings. Then you get your, I can't remember the exact terminology, but let's just say semi-premium meetings, and they're at 2%. Uh, and then your premium meetings, say, like your Doncaster Day or your Everest, that's a 3% on turnover. Um, put that into context. Back in the day, bookies used to pay 1%, like let's talk about probably 15, 20 years ago, before GST came in, bookmakers used to pay 1% of turnover to their, their government, so New South Wales government, for example, and they used to pay 1% of their turnover to the race clubs. What did happen is that when GST came in, the 1% to the state governments was abolished. So the new playing field for bookies back 15 years ago became they pay 1% to the race clubs, and that's since changed, um, and they pay it you know, directly to Race New South Wales and stuff like that now, um, and they paid GST. And that the reason, the reason I kind of explain that is that has brought us to the situation now where these point of consumption taxes are coming oh, in because... Yeah, because the, so the state government's got cut out about 15 years ago and they're sort of... And I think that they probably didn't care because... And I'm not 100% sure about this, but about 15... You know, 15 years ago, the tab was so dominant that the state governments were getting, you know, big royalties from their agreements with the tab. So they didn't really care about... You know, I mean, basically, it was just on-course bookies back then. And, and you, had the, you had the very early days of international all sports and maybe Cenebet, and that was probably about it. Um but as the as the corporate juggernaut has grown, obviously um, the revenues to the state governments have dropped, and that's why they're putting their hand out now. Okay, and then so one percent of turnover. Um, I know in sports betting terms, and I live in the US, and there's a lot of talk about it now. The the sports leagues are trying to take an inf- integrity fee. They're calling it a one percent on turnover uh-huh. of sports betting. So that roughly equates to twenty percent of. Uh, gross gaming yield or gross gaming revenue in terms of right. in Australia right now, um, or even if going back, is 1% to the state government similar to 20% on gross profit? So the 9.1% of GST is a positive, uh, I guess, aspect in terms of wagering operators paying less. Is that fair to say? Um, well, I don't know. I, I have to look at the, the, the mechanics of all the, the the numbers there, but I would think that because you say 1% of 20 equals 20% of gross gaming revenue, that might be because the market is sort of 105, 106%, but when the market jacks up to 114 or 115% like you know racing markets do, maybe it's that, that figure would then not work so well. Yeah, I think you're probably right, actually. So I've, 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 heard, I've heard some people talk about Oh, they they do this in the UK, so it should be fine in Australia. We're part of the Commonwealth. This is great. Let's do this. This is excellent. All good. Tell us why that's ridiculous. Um, well, it, it, it's point of consumption tax isn't ridiculous, but but using the UK as an example is ridiculous because the the UK um, don't have any like their obviously their GST is VAT, but bookmakers don't pay VAT. I believe the bookmakers simply I don't know, but I I know that. They don't have three points of tax, which we're going to have. Um, they only have one, possibly two. Um, so, yeah, so the, to say that it happens in England is not, um, which well, is not relevant because it's the, the, the structure that they have will not be the same as what we have. Um, yeah, 
So it needs to be considered wholly as a overall amount of tax. Doesn't matter who's being paid, whether it's a sports league or a racing body or a federal government, state government. In totality, that tax rate needs to be a mechanism that doesn't cause too much pain, I guess, for the the operators. Yeah, completely, to... completely like that. Yeah, the, the state government. I mean, that was the biggest problem with what South Australia did is they just unilaterally brought in supported consumption tax with, I believe, zero consultation to the bookmaking marketplace and everyone was just blindsided. And where they got the 15% figure, I mean, maybe that's the 15% figure came from what they charge in England. Maybe South Australia modelled it um, on what happens in England. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got to look at it like, you know, if, um, I mean, the what the book is, everyone's accepted the point of consumption tax is coming in. There's no doubt about that. What it is now is about... Um, sort of talking through what is the best result for basically the industry and, and the government. And when I say government, I mean state government. So that's that's what the conversation is. There's no conversation against point of consumption tax because it, it can't be stopped. And it probably, like, it. Um, I've had some conversations. I actually had a conversation with Peter Volandis about it yesterday. I emailed him and, and went and um, chatted with him about it. And he sort of said that both... Victoria and New South Wales have never really wanted a point of consumption tax, but obviously um, now that South Australia and Queensland are doing it, all the federal minister, all the state ministers or treasurers, I should say, have um, agreed that it's going to happen. And you know, obviously they're over the top of um, racing Victoria, racing New South Wales head. So there's not much that um, either of those, you know, either of those bodies can do about it. It's it, it's coming, but it's all about. Um, yeah, what's it going to do for the industry? And I think probably, I think it has negligible impact on betting on sport in Australia. You know, your um, obviously NRL and, and and cricket and all that kind of stuff. But where I think it can have a huge impact is on racing, the funding of racing, and also the betting markets on racing, because we've seen a large percentage increase in fixed odds markets since they. Um, all the racing bodies put up their product fees and they had every right to put up the product fees and they had to do that because, you know, we have excellent prize money and that prize money has to come from somewhere and if more and more people are going to leave betting on the toad and start betting on fixed odds racing, um, you know, obviously the f- we can't have prize money going down. So, um, yeah, the money's got to come from somewhere and, and that's the discussion now is about finding the equilibrium of where all... Um, interests are best served and the market can continue to to grow and prosper, which it has been. The market's in a fantastic position now. And, and that's when I went and met with Peter Volandis yesterday. That's I just really just wanted to make that point. I just emailed and said, mate, can I come and talk to you? The market's great at the moment. I think as you know, CEO of Racing New South Wales, you, you need to be careful what happens with this point of consumption tax because if it's too onerous on the market, you are going to create problems for yourself um because you're going to turn punters away um yeah and you know like obviously my own self-interest is involved in that argument like i'm trying to bet into a um as as competitive and um good value market as i can um so you know i didn't i didn't go in there you know screaming and shouting saying that's all going to come crashing down i just sort of said we just need to find the right balance and it was it was really good it was really good that he could find the time to, to speak with me and um and yeah, I came out of thinking that it's probably we'll probably end up in a pretty good place. I hope, but you know, we've, there's still quite a lot of advocacy still to come from. And I know that the bookies um, are really pushing hard, in particular Betfair, 
Um, the biggest problem Betfair faces is that there's talk that New South Wales might um, go against what all the other states have done. All the other states are bringing in approximately a 15% point of consumption tax on profit, whereas New South Wales are talking about bringing in a 2% on turnover, which would basically put Betfair out of play. And the big problem with that is that it's not like it wouldn't mean that Betfair stopped betting on New South Wales racing. What it would mean is that Betfair would stop servicing any clients in New South Wales. Obviously, that would have a huge trickle-down effect into, I mean, you know, like all kinds. I mean, think about, I wonder how much wagering comes out of New South Wales so much. And, you know, Betfair really is the epicentre of all betting, whether it's on anything, whether it's on sport or racing, Betfair is where it all happens. Um, so, yeah, so Probably the organisation with most at stake in, in this whole point of consumption argument is um, is Betfair. Interesting. So last time when they changed it from a 1% tax to the state government and brought in GST uh, at around 9%, there was a taking away of the fee to the state government and bringing in GST. Is the same discussion having, happening in reverse, saying, well, if you're going to bring back a state amount, can that coexist with the GST? No, because the federal government are not going to give up their GST. So what basically needs to happen, and I, I, I don't think you can't obviously you can't muck around with a with GST like it's it's set at what it is, you know. But what needs to happen is the um the state governments need to acknowledge that the bookmakers are being taxed high already more than they've ever been taxed um, in in history, and so therefore it needs to be a, you know a modest, sensible point of consumption tax and. It would seem to me that the best result would be a point of consumption tax of around 6%. And essentially what that would mean is that, you know, um, well, it's, it's the same net result as if you, if you bring in a point of consumption tax of 15% and abolish GST, that's the same net result is basically if you bring in, if you leave GST, but, but reduce the point of consumption tax only to 6%. So you get your, you know, your 15%. <coughs> Um, yeah, so look, that would be great. I think that, and that's, you know, that's, that's still going to affect the markets. Like the markets are going to, um, go up a bit, like the percentage is going to go up a bit and the bookmakers will probably not spend as much on marketing. I mean, I don't care. I, I couldn't care less <laughs> if I never saw another bookies ad, but you know, those, those bookies ads, um, are a big source of funding to racing.com. They're probably a big source of funding to, Sky, I don't know even if Sky have bookies ads. I can't even think that they might not because it's a, you know, that's the competitors. But the, yeah, so, you know, um, so that's got to be considered. And I think that um, that's probably going to be a pretty big bargaining tool for um, Racing Victoria. I think Racing Victoria are much further down the road in setting their point of consumption tax. Um, and yeah, I mean, it would be fantastic if, point, if Victoria could set it at 6%. Um, that would be great because that would sort of um, lead the way for New South Wales to do the same. Um, and, you know, like, I mean, you know, South Australia, Queensland, Western Australia, those kind of, those states who have set their, um, uh, their point of consumption at um, 15%, I mean, it has zero impact on me, so I, you know, don't really care. But, of course, I do care because, I, you know, I, I don't want punters in South Australia getting a worse deal than me or, or West Australia. So hopefully that by, you know, the two leading states, Victoria and New South Wales, coming to what, you know, to a, a much lesser rate, 
would then put pressure on those other states to um, follow suit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So would punters quite literally move states so that they can be in a certain state? And and I, I saw a, an interview uh, on the Racing Rant with uh, the Betfair CEO who was talking about missed revenues to you know Australian racing bodies or the federal government, I assume, for, for GST reasons. Is that a consideration when they're making this decision or you're having these discussions? Definitely, and, and, and I made that point strongly to Peter Verlandes yesterday. And, you know, when I'm knocking about out, chat with punters and chat with people in the pub and that, and we talk about the sort of the, I guess you can call it the overtaxation of the market, everyone seems to say, well, all we'll do is sort of make SP flourish again because, you know, I mean, bookies have got their license now. They're going to go, oh, fuck this. It's just, it's too much. Why don't I just go home, turn my phone on? you know, offer people 5% or 10% over what the tab's paying and just bypass the government, you know, it really does sort of empower the whole SP movement. And I made that point to Peter and, you know, he certainly seemed to take it on board. And, I mean, that's one of the things that he he and all other racing administrators hate the most is is the leakage of money away from them and whether it goes offshore or whether it just stays in Australia but it bypasses the state bodies, Um you know that's that's what they really don't want, and so that's you know you that's what you've got to be um, be aware of. And yeah, I, I generally do think that 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 aspect has a real chance of happening. I'm not just saying that to be hyperbolic and and dramatic. I um and and to talk up my own cause. I I just really do think that 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 is a um an issue. So yeah, and you know it might be. I mean the market's never been better. It's really great. You know, like it's and when I say it's never been better, I'm considering everyone like the bookies can. You know, seem to be doing okay. Racing New South Wales and Victoria and all that, they're getting pretty good product fees. Sports you can leagues. win on the punt. Sure, absolutely. Um, and you can, you know, as a punter, you can win on the punt. You've got to be very, very good, but you can win on the punt. And you can get on as well, you know. So um, we've got a pretty good at the moment, and we just need to get through this point of consumption tax situation um, and, uh, and, you know, let the markets continue to rip. Won't those decision makers say, well, we have, you know, we've had a big crackdown, there's large penalties for those operating in an unlicensed capacity and, you know, for example, if there was an exchange called Citibet or if there was a bookmaker called Pinnacle offering to (laughs) certain people, we would crack down. Are those arguments valid at all? Yeah, completely. Completely. And and they will and and they should, you know, but is that really going to deter people? I don't know. It depends how severe the penalties are. Um, but, you know, you've also got to look at why, why are people doing that? If, it's, if it gets to the point where it's not economically viable for people to punt, um, and that's, you know, a lot of those people wouldn't actually realise that themselves, that it just happened naturally because they just find that their punting dollar doesn't go as far, you know, um, as it used to, well, then the government need to recognise that, you know, they're uh, overtaxing it and they're... And, they're not stimulating it. Um, so, and, and the government's got to remember too, like it's, it's, it's a big industry. It can grow so much more. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the horse racing or the racing industries is a huge employer of so many people. So they want to, you know, keep, keep that cranking along. Um, and, you know, of course in all this, um, you know, harm minimization or responsible gambling is very, very important. And, you know, when I say that the industry can grow more, well, yes, it can grow more, but of course, before any of that can happen, we need to make sure that no one's betting with more than they can afford and that, you know, that people are either betting for two reasons. One, for entertainment, and so they, you know, they do lose their money, but they get entertainment out of it. 
um, or they're betting to try and make money, you know, um, and uh, and that, you know, all, all aspects of service. So, yeah. So this sounds like some sort of weird or modified prisoner's dilemma where you've got a number of participants involved and I guess they're all interested in having their share of the pie and if it gets too high, as in too much tax, then it impacts the bookmaker and therefore it's likely to detriment the ultimate punter. So have you come up with any good ideas to sort of combat this sort of weird game of, and it's certainly not akin to Prisoner's Dilemma, but it's a, a modified form of that. So what do you, what, what do you, how do you, how do you get all sort of the, all the parties together to understand that although individually they are potentially entitled to a point of consumption tax or a GST or a product fee or a license fee for the, the sporting leagues or the, the other bodies, how do you get them all together and sort of say, look, we, we completely understand. However, this needs to be a thought out process where you've evaluated all the different parts. And if that means you've got to essentially uh, make a decision that might be not maximizing your position, but understanding that it's, it's done so for the greater good in terms of all of those different entities need to take a little bit less so that the industry industry can continue to be viable. How do you approach sort of that conversation? Yeah, well, I mean, that's why I wanted to, my first point of call was to go and speak to Peter Volandis because, you know, I'm just talking from a New South Wales perspective. But I know one good thing that came out of talking to him is he said that the New South Wales Treasurer is going to do a study and they're going to call for submissions. And he said that you know, I can put in the submission that. I mean, maybe to be open to the public, anyone who wants to put a submission in can. So I guess that's, that's I mean, all you can really ask for is that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of good. Um, I mean, going a bit further than that, these, these situations continue to happen in racing and in gambling. So, yeah we definitely need a national regulator. Um, but, I mean, it's just... I, I wrote a letter to the social services minister and he didn't even read it. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Like, I wrote this letter, sort of quite terse, strong letter, strong-worded letter, and copped a little bit of criticism that I was too aggressive towards him. But I was mostly aggressive to him because we've got no, you know, zero information out of his, his office for a long time, and that's even after they've they've commissioned a study into what's happening in online betting in Australia. Um, and I wrote him a letter and he, you could tell by his response, he literally did not even read the letter. He read the copy first and paste. line and said, copy and paste is just a generic response. Um, so it just kind of feels that we're a long way away from that. But I was, I was thinking about it last night and I was like, you know, it's pretty good. Like when you really want to, when you've really got something pressing and um, you want to talk to someone about it who can make some decisions, it happens pretty easily. Like just, you know, going back to and what made me think that was just being able to get that meeting with Peter Volandis. Like, I just emailed him. I mean, any, I just got his email off the Racing New South Wales website and, and then sure enough, a couple of days later, he wrote back to me. So my point is is that when you really want to get somewhere, if you push hard enough and you have a, you know, a compelling enough argument, you can affect change and you can talk to those people, um, which is sort of, in a way, answering your question that I was sort of like – Trying to get a national regulator is incre- incredibly frustrating. And then I was thinking about last night going, you know, like, it would be good, but it's also not that hard to, you know, talk to the right people if you're patient enough. So Okay. Yeah. So I want to, before we finish on point of consumption and maybe get to that in terms of a national regulator, the TAB and TATS, I'm sure they're saying, why should we have to pay if, you know, we're, you know, land-based or in pubs and clubs and that type of stuff? Is that a valid argument for them to be pushing the other way and saying, look, we're not online wagering operators we have to partake in this, so it's only fair that those based in Northern Territory or wherever they're based um, or licensed have to as well? Yeah, I think that's a very fair argument. Yeah, I, I think that um, 
the the copy book makers have had a free ride for a long time and the tab have been under a lot heavier taxation um and that's and yeah the tab do have a right and that's probably why they're pushing quite hard for this point of consumption tax i mean they're simply doing it as a bit of a defensive play to try and um make it more difficult for their competition to make money so it's it's you know it's a a delicate balance there between whether they're just being um i guess you know protectionist and anti-competitive or they're actually genuinely had a bit of a rough deal and i think there's elements of both of that okay but i mean business is business everyone's out doing their best and i guess you know if you if you play within the rules where you're entitled to do anything and there's no doubt that um tab are playing within the rules so you know but what the, the tab just want everyone else to be gone and 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 be on their own. I mean, they know that's never going to happen. <laughs> but, and what we need to do, and I mean, the tab's fantastic, you know, especially at the moment. They're, they're offering a great service on racing. They're betting big. Um, you know, there's no complaints with the tab. But what we need to do um, is keep pushing forward to keep this, like, dynamic, vibrant marketplace that we have at the moment. And, and it, you know, there's got to be incentive for bookies to come in. Like, I can't think of one incentive to become a bookie at the moment, whether it's online or on course. Like, why would you do it? Like, you've got so much tax that you've got to go through. You've got intense competition from, you know, billion-dollar companies. Like, there's just zero um, yep. incentive. No, and um, it looks like they're going to start merging and, and different strategies to consolidate in the marketplace as it is. So, you're right. It's going to be a tough barrier to entry. Yeah, and so, you know, the, what all marketplaces want is competition. So, you know, the government and the regulators need to keep that in their mind as well. And, um, you know, the, the, the thought out there is that, oh, the point of consumption tax is not going to be too big a deal for the big boys. It'll just lead to further consolidation. Well, my point of that is, well, that's shit house for punters because, you know, like we're going to – William Hill's going to get swallowed up. Like there's just – I don't know if you saw it, but this, uh, extraordinarily – this. did you see this four bookies vying for them, which I find extraordinary. I'm surprised that Ladbrokes and 365 and even Crown are in the hunt for it because I wouldn't have thought that they're – I just don't really see the synergies that would come for them from buying them. But anyway, that's, you know, it's, I mean, it's good. It, yeah. Good luck to William Hill that they're going to get, recruit some of their money back. It'll be interesting to see what finally, who finally does pick it up. But then, you know, hopefully we don't lose Crown Bet, but that could happen. Obviously, Tats Bet's going to get swallowed up by um, Tab Corp. So, yeah, the, the marketplace is going to shrink a bit. Um, and, you know, the point of consumption tax makes it even more difficult for some of these operators. And they go, well, we're suddenly going to go from having, 20 bookmakers to bet with down to about 10 and that's not great is no, it obviously no it's not and in a in some respects it might stifle that competition or innovation or you know having these giants just fighting it out in a duopoly or if there's three or four big players so mm. let's talk price unlike bookies and totes the betfair exchange is a low margin buy sell fixed odds marketplace where the value stays with the punter not the house ready for the game within the game join betfair.com.au gamble responsibly we'll see on the national regulator point have you thought deeply about it to get to sort of a point that would make sense and i come from the perspective of you know tab and the you know tats might be interested in certain things uh those licenses in the northern territory and and their approach um would it include you know obviously other stakeholders in the discussion would it just be a an argument and a a robust discussion every time without a lot of um, action or how do you see it playing out if in you know in a perfect world or a, a situation where you had sort of control over in the beginning what would it need to look like well i think i mean i think it's inc- incredibly simple like the federal government say it's happening they get together and we work out 
who you know who needs to be represented, whether it's Tabcorp, whether it's the corporate bookmakers. You know, so it's it's just it's just looking at the wagering operators. It's not looking at um, you know Racing New South Wales or any of those kinds of jurisdictions. Okay. Um, and the federal government says, right, it's it's being formed. It has a head office somewhere. It has some staff and it has a board. And on that board would be someone from the tab, maybe someone from Responsible Wagering Australia, who is the peak body that represents five or six bookies. I think it's like Sportsbet, Betfair, um, maybe Ladbrokes as well, Bet365, Unibet, anyway, something like that. So there'd be someone from there. There might be someone from, I don't know, like the board's going to be made up of 10 or 12 people. Um, and obviously has to be a punter on that you know um to represent punters interest and you might you might have someone from say um racing australia on their board as well anyway the mix would be worked out and then it's quite simple that whenever a, a decision is made like the point of consumption tax or like a minimum bet limit um the you know that that peak body does does research Makes some findings, gives it to the federal government, and the federal government says, "Right, this is what's happening," you know. And then, and that's, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of consultation with all the different sides, and and then whatever is landed upon and is deemed the fairest result, that's what that's what happens, and that's what is enacted into legislation. It's not, you know, sometimes it's going to go against certain sectors of the wagering market, and sometimes it's going to be in favour of other people. But that's just the way it is, you know. That's that happens every day in life. So to me, that seems very simple. Why it's not happening, I don't know. Um, it, you know, wagering in Australia is a big industry. It's not going anywhere. The sports bodies want it. They want the revenue. They have zero problem with the social impact of gambling. I mean, when I say they have zero problem with it, they certainly are strong advocates of responsible gambling. But they don't care that there's going to be pushback from some of their supporters saying, we don't want gambling in our game. They don't care. They want the revenue, so they're like they're pushing those people aside. But of course, responsible gambling is going to be a big part of um, any gambling on sport. I'm not saying that they don't care about that. They absolutely do. Um, I mean, you know, a couple of years back, there was a bit of a push on some of these codes like AFL and NRL to just completely get rid of gambling from their game. But that's not going to happen um, because the sporting bodies don't want it. They want that revenue, and revenue is hard to come by. Um, and yeah, and I think, I think it's good. I think gambling should, should be on sport. I think that it needs to be hidden a bit. I think that there should be no, you know, advertising, um, during sport, like live games and it should be really paid back, but there should be a, a deep, vibrant market behind the scenes that if you want to go and find it, you can. Um, I, I know I'm getting a little bit off topic there, but that kind you know, that, what I'm talking about there, that kind of stuff could be easily dealt with by national regulators and and that's a, probably a, a good point uh case in point would be um that if in a couple of years time we find that there's too much advertising creeping back in well then the ne- national regulator can you know um act um and you know bring in less or more advertising and that would be another thing that they could look at um, and also, and another thing that they could definitely look at is the harm minimization, responsible gambling aspect of things. If we, you know, if we find that um, uh, some areas need attention, they can do that. Or even like the credit betting, this credit betting ban, it's probably a little excessive. You know, maybe in a couple of years' time, um, they might pare that back a bit and, and not make it so, um, you know, so across the board and, and clear cut. So, yeah, so that's that's how it would look like a I minute. Mean, Eventually, the social services department are going to have a better look at this, um, and maybe they'll think about doing it. You know, so yeah. 
The idea of having a punter on this national regulator is obviously a brilliant one. However, it's certainly not common globally. Uh-huh. Give us the, the background and I guess your thoughts on the role of having a punter on, on some type of national regulator board or involved in those discussions. Well, it just it would just give it legitimacy. It would give it credibility. I mean, you know, there's for, for every thousand bookies or for every thousand people with interest in bookmaking, there's a hundred thousand people who have interests um, as a punter. So, um, you know, you just need to be there. And you know, like I mean, uh, I guess use me an example. Like I've had twenty one years experience, as I said earlier. So I know a huge amount about what happens and, and what the knock-on effect from different things happening are. So if there's a punter on the on, on the board of that, um, you know, if something's moved about happening, I can say, well, this happened back then. Or, you know, if it was someone like me, I can, you know, I know a lot of punters who've been punting for 50 years. And if there's an issue that needed attention, I can be like, well, I'm going to talk to this person about that and they'd be able to give me advice. And then, you know, I can take that advice back to the board. And, um, and I mean, you know, it's just, it's just a deeper... Um, understanding of, of what's at play because that I mean the biggest problem is like punters are basically never consulted and and I would have to say that in the last five years that has improved dramatically um, and we are having our voices heard much more which is great and you know I mean the digitalization of the world has helped that because you know you can't I mean the, the administrators can't hide anymore if they get something wrong they get pumped on social media um, whereas in the past that you know that the only way that they could really get pumped would be in the media. And if they have the media in their pocket, well, then it doesn't happen as much. So, yeah, so it's, it is easy for, for punters to be heard these days. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I guess does that answer the question? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's obviously a very useful um, part of any type of body like that. It's just something that sadly you don't hear enough about. No one really talks about it. You know, you might have a lot of diplomatic bureaucratic suit wearing types on there which is i mm. guess the way things these things go but um there's no one in my opinion more important to the ecosystem or underrepresented in the ecosystem than the punter and whether it is a professional or you know a syndicate or a group or just a group of punters it's obviously probably one of the most important aspects so i yeah. just wanted to give it the airtime that it deserves and make sure others weren't just glossing over it a little bit yeah in addition, then, let's talk minimum bet laws and, I guess, at a base level, tell us why they're so critical for the underrepresented group I was just mentioning, the punters. Oh, just simply because you need to have confidence in the market and if you're going to put hard work in to try and monetize your effort, um, you need to know that you're not just going to get booted out of a market, which was happening before the minimum bet limits came in. It's also ethically the right thing to do. And if we're going to have gambling in Australia, you've got to be allowed to win at it. Otherwise, there's no point in having it. What do, what do we want to, you know, as a society, give all our money to a tiny fraction of the community and who mostly are anyway taking the profits offshore? So, um, yeah, so that's why it was uh, it was so important. And, you know, it's, it's that whole sort of journey is very well documented now and we're sort of move a long way past it but you know it's so crucial to the industry and oh, the industry would be so crap without it you know i mean i wouldn't be talking to you right now i would have left the industry a long time ago um you probably wouldn't you probably wouldn't be involved either because it'd just be you know there'd like be no one, one to be, talk to <laughs> no there'd be i mean there'd be yeah you know you'd, you'd you'd get rid of the more sophisticated and and you just have 
you know, just the more unfortunate the gambler's betting and um, and it would, yeah, it would it would not be cool at all. Yeah. So what about, and finally I can put my, uh, my devil's advocate hat on for a moment. What about sort of the legal aspect? And I know there was a VCAT decision, I believe, um, four or five years ago involving Sportsbet where one of their customers tried to, you know, essentially say, that we, you know, we should be allowed to place a bet. And I think the result of that was um, not positive in that instance and in that set of facts. So I'm, you know, it may be construed broadly or may not be, but the whole idea of, I guess, you know, consumer law applying in that, um, you know, a business can set itself up and doesn't have to accept a customer uh, unless it's, you know, we're talking age or race or disability and some of those other things, which I haven't read Australian consumer law for a while, but I'm pretty sure some of that's in there. But that argument of, yeah, I'm setting up a business, I should be able to choose. How do you combat that or think about that? Well, I think that how that has been combated is, is you know, for example, Race New South Wales, they brought in the minimum bet limit, but then it was also legislated by the state government. So, you know, like one of the very first people that I contacted was the ACCC because I was like, well, you know, like this isn't fair. How can you allow this? And the ACCC said to me, all we do is act upon government legislation. Um, so there's no government legislation there saying that online bookmakers um, have to bet people. And that's simply because bookmakers started, you know, they grew without legislation keeping up with them. Now, I did make the point, but occasionally you do hear the ACCC acting and saying, oh, they've pulled Telstra into the court because Telstra have done something that's wrong by customers or da-da-da-da-da. And they said that occasionally the ACCC acts um, above and beyond the government um, if they can see something that's, like, manifestly wrong that affects millions of people. So, you know, it has to be a very, very big deal. And then, you know, the ACCC can take a uh, someone like Telstra to court over the way they're, hand, they're treating customers However, something like a minimum bet limit is never going to um, have a big enough impact for the ACCC to act. So that's that kind of how that happened. And I think that to answer your question, the reason that the minimum bet limits are doing well and they're holding is because there's legislation in the state government now, wherever there's a minimum bet limit, that says this is, you know, that Racing New South Wales are allowed to tell the bookmakers um, that they have to bet people and it's in New South Wales law. So the bookmakers... They have no choice to do it. Law is law, um, and that's and that's why it's worked, you know. And, and any and any further minimum bet limits um, have to go down that same path. So, from a bookmaker's perspective, and with your five or six years' experience included, is it is it good or is, not? Is it good? Is it that bad for bookmakers having minimum bet laws? In your opinion, how does that all? I don't think so. You, you, look, it probably has. I mean, I think Sportsbet, when it actually came in, they put in one of their reports that they thought it would have a would have an impact on their bottom line of two million dollars, which is like nothing. They're making you know like a hundred million dollars a year. And to Sportsbet's credit, like you know, they were um, you know not the fairest bookie um, back you know back a while ago. But as soon as the minimum bet limits were introduced, they've been great and they bet everybody and the business is doing really really well because of it. I think that the other bookmakers probably don't mind it as much as they thought but of course you know i can't speak for them um and i think it pushes them back towards traditional bookmaking which is you know what they're all really licensed to do it's like put your market up do your best to lay every runner make your percentage and move on the next race um and i think that by having the minimum bet limit it encourages them to do that because you know they can't duck and weave particular punters on particular horses they're best just to you know 
cop the tip a bit, I guess, from the, the, the smarter gamblers who bet with them and, um, and you know, make, maybe make their book around that. They have a lot of percentage these days, the bookmakers, um, and, and those markets do move around a lot. And, you know, the, the top fluctuation of all the bookies probably on every single race, I would say, would get right down towards 100% or less. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all laying it, um, you know, every horse at the top price. And further that, you know, when you're going to look at their annual reports, <coughs> they all have yields of about 12 to 40% on their horse racing bets, which is it's pretty fat. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of meat in that for them. Um, yeah. Some room to move yeah. on. Yeah. Okay, so put your Richard Irvine bookmaking hat back on for a moment. Is it yep. another barrier to entry, though, with having minimum bet laws and, and getting involved on that side? Is it something that would be detrimental when you're sort of doing the pros and cons list of getting back into it? I mean, not really. Like, you know, like if you if you want to be, I mean, if you want to become a bookie these days, you know, you've got to, I don't know. I I just think it's such a crappy method to go in there and just try and find mugs and take their money. Like, if you want to be a bookie, you want to get you know you should concentrate on the traditional art, which is putting a market up of 115% and trying to lay every runner, you know, at that 115%. I understand it's nowhere near a perfect science like that. So, mate, I in my opinion, no, I don't think it's a barrier to entry at all. It's it's part of the um, it's it's just it's just part of what bookmaking should be about. You know, you you don't play heads you just you just play your book yes i don't know I, I i never think like a bookie and you might be able to you know a bookmaker might be able to answer that question better than me but i'm just so so far down the road of like you know everyone being included in markets i can't even really think about it any other way no that makes sense that makes sense the betfair exchange isn't a house that sets the odds it's betting at its purest one punter's opinion against another's Play the game within the game at betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So let's talk in-play wagering for a moment then. How does that fit into this conversation or have you been having those discussions about in-play? And I don't know exactly where it's at right now, so maybe take us through that really quickly. When I was still in Australia, it was call up on the phone and and go through that 45-second process for the market to then get closed. Yeah, I think that happened. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think think that's still happening. I... I don't bet in play myself. I think that um, you can bet in play on Australian sport. Like if you want to call up Betfair, I think you call. I don't even know what, whether if I, for example, if I called up say Top Sport Net and wanted to have a bet in play on a footy game this weekend, I don't even know if you're if you're allowed to or not. Um, and but then I'm, I don't. And then I know that obviously there's in play on horse racing, which is pretty ironic because the horse racing industry pushed back against in play you know, about a year ago when it got banned. Um, and I don't even know if you can, yeah, I think you can, like if I want to bet on bet in play, I can actually do it online. So I don't, you know, I don't need to call up, but I think anything other than horse racing, you're not allowed to bet in play. Do you, can you clarify that for me? Do you know? So when I was there, it was certainly, hi, Mr. Williams, this is, you know, expert. Um, what market would you like? Okay. Can I have Eagles, Patriots? Sure. Would you like, uh, what market under over, uh, 57 and a half. Okay. What's your stake? $12. Okay. What's the price? It's you know dollar ninety or minus one ten or whatever. Okay, and then you know go through that whole process, ten different questions, and then oh sorry they've uh, they've snapped the ball and you, you can't have that bet or call us back or whatever. So, sure, 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 sure. So it was laborious, yeah. Yeah, nightmare, nightmare. I read about the, um, I believe it was William Hill Australia, but they had some type of automated Click voice. Click to call, si- yeah. It's like sounded like Alexa or someone you're talking to, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, so I don't but know that, in okay, detail. So that, like, that's a good point. So the reason that InPlay got banned is because of dumb shit like that that William Hill were doing, like, you know, just arrogance towards the regulators and 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 flaunting the rules is just it was just so stupid. And and the it, you know the fact that in InPlay got banned was simply because it was basically a get square from the government towards the bookies and that you know the saturation of advertising and all that kind of stuff. That it was basically that was just a get square. Now. I, I think that that gets clear was valid. The bookmakers were acting, you know, pretty unconscionably for a long time. However, I think that there's been um, a, recogni- a recognition from the bookies that they need to be better corporate citizens, and that's happening. And I think that it's crazy that in-play isn't allowed. I think um, it's it's a great way of betting. It's a great revenue earner for all the sporting bodies. Um and I think that um, the government is to have a long look at it. It's, I think there's a situation at the moment where you've got this kind of like sort of the religious right of the um, Liberal Party who are dead set against betting and then you've got sort of the socialist left of the Labor Party who are dead set against betting as well and they've kind of come together and somehow um, said, no, we don't want more gambling. And, you know, like these people would have absolutely no idea about what happens in the wagering markets and they don't care. But that's not particularly fair of them because they're disadvantaging, you know, people like you and me and the hundreds of thousands of us of punters out there who want to bet in play. So I think, and I've even, um, I had a brief conversation with Responsible Wagering Australia, which is that peak body I was talking about. And I said, you know, that my proposal is that there should be a coalition put together of punters and bookies. And the number one thing that they're trying to, that we're trying to achieve is that, is, is bringing in play, in play betting in, um, along with, nationwide minimum bet limit because you know if you want to get the support of punters and the support of me which i think would you know there's no there are, i can't see the bookies getting in play in anytime soon on their own but if it's you know a joint force a joint coalition of punters bookies and um the sporting codes i think there's a big chance that you know you can get in play and simply because the decision that was made was just not fair um and and the decision was made because the bookies were you know, impacting on everyday Australians too much lives. Okay, that's acknowledged. There's a big pullback, and they're doing better. So let's let's have a relook at things. So I sort of mooted this to the you know responsible gambling Australia, and I also said that so you'd, you'd have the um, allow in play betting, have a nationwide minimum bet limit on all sports, and then also let's you know form this national regulator. Um, and I've you know I've sent that proposal to them, um, left it with them. They're going to get back to me. Um, Maybe, I don't know, maybe they don't think it's a good idea at all. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, look, let's have in play. It's crazy not to have it, you know. And once again, we need to be, you know, very careful of responsible gambling and make sure that um, people aren't, you know, getting further and further in, into trouble. But, I mean, I can go and bet on the stock market all day long. I can day trade the stock market all day long. What's the difference between betting on sport, you know, just because – some people think that the stock market is a more respectable, reputable way of trading. Well, they don't have the right to make that decision. There's absolutely no difference. So if I want to, I should be allowed to trade in play. I actually don't want to. I have zero interest in play. I don't do it. But I can see that that there's something unfair about it and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, and I think the statistics sort of globally, especially on something like soccer, is... 85% of bets now are in play. You know, Unfortunately mm. for, I guess, the essence of being a punter is not compatible with things like strikes and, and other actions that might sort of get 
uh, movement and direction. So I want to ask one sort of final question on this. If people are sort of listening and things are resonating and they think they might want to do a little bit more or can put their name to something or I don't know if you do sort of petitions or anything else like that in terms of call call to arms type stuff, but what's the best way for people to be sort of active in this space or involved or sign up to a you know fair wagering Australia, things like that? Take us through that. Yeah, there's not really anything like that. The, the, the only thing I do is I put stuff on Twitter and I ask people to retweet it. That helps a lot. And if, you know, like, if I can get 100 retweets, it helps a lot. You know, like I put a tweet up the other other day to Martin Pakula, who's the racing, uh, sorry, who's the racing minister in Victoria, and just sort of said basically just that point of consumption tax. But the advantage of it is, is that, you know, like, I don't know, maybe got 70 or 80 retweets, but, and which is, you know, it's very small numbers in terms of what can happen on Twitter. But it's actually, I mean, it's bloody hard to get people to retweet stuff. I mean, you would know that yourself. Um, so what it does is that, you know, over the, say, the 24 to 48 hours of the life of that tweet, you know, Martin Bakula is sitting there and then he gets another notification or a retweet from, you know, this has been retweeted again, again, again. I've found that to be the best way in terms of, like, strikes and petitions. And I just think they're pretty weak. And, well, I was being very know, facetious. And like I said, the essence of being a punter is not compatible with sitting out of a, a you know, a race or a, or a sporting event in general. Sure, so. exactly, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so, you know, in, in, to answer your question, look, I think we're doing well. I think that um, we have a really strong voice on Twitter people write letters you know that kind of thing so i don't you know i don't really think um you know we need to do much more than we're doing you know like it, it, i really try to get efficient action and I, I i try to remind myself is this gonna possibly lead to change and if it's not i don't do it you know um and that's sort of why i'm talking to you today because you know like maybe maybe someone who can make a decision about some of the things we've talked about is going to listen to this and you know it'll get us closer to um to where we all want to get to yeah it only takes sort of one person or a few people so fingers crossed i know a lot of people appreciate what you're doing and um i've certainly had a lot of requests to get you on so i definitely appreciate um all your time what you're doing in this space and um yeah if i can add a retweet to the to the group and all that sort of stuff i certainly will so keep it up no worries man and uh great to talk to you and good, good on you for what you're doing it's uh it's, it's really nice to hear from all different punters across Australia and there was a, a strong need for it and good on you for, um, for taking it up. No, it's, it's very enjoyable and uh, hopefully to continue doing it for a while. I know some people are probably a little disappointed we didn't touch on the sort of 15 years after your eight-meeting bookmaking career with, <laughs> with Sean and, and Kingsley and those guys and what you're doing there. So we'll have to save that for another time. But I really appreciate your... Uh, your insights, your thoughts, and, and I guess talking about this topic may not be for everyone, but it's critically important. So once again, I appreciate it. Good on you, Jake. Talk to you soon, mate. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and please support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Gamble responsibly.